Hey, it's Gory Corey. I'm currently working on a new horror anthology called Welcome Week with Screenager Productions, the minds behind Satan's Servant. We're making a film about the horrors of college, and we're bringing together college-age film students from all over the world to work on it. We're currently fundraising on Indiegogo and would really appreciate your support. Whether it's sharing or donating, anything helps. Thank you so much, and if you'd like to learn more, you can find us on Indiegogo at Welcome Week, or you can visit my blog, gorycory.com. Thanks. Welcome to Filmstrip. These podcasts are spoiler-filled as we discuss the plots, characters, and themes of the films in review. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Mike. For this episode, we're talking about Firebirds, starring Nicolas Cage, Sean Young, Brian Kettner, Burt Ryan, Mary Ellen Trainer, and Tommy Lee Jones. Directed by David Green, written by Nick Thiel, Paul F. Edwards, Step Tyner, John K. Swenson, and Dale Dye. Some of those are real military people, y'all. Released in 1990 on a $22 million budget, only grossed $14.7 million at the box office first off though mike welcome back to film strip glad to have you here a familiar voice if you've listened to past episodes but for the uninitiated do tell folks a little bit about yourself and your fine collection of podcasts out there sure i am always happy to come back you get you guys know how much i love you this is uh no shame to any other podcast but this is just absolutely one of my favorite podcasts to be on i always have a blast anytime i'm here uh i am the host of a weekly action show called action for everyone uh where i am joined by filmmaker Liam O'Donnell and uh, film writer, historian, critic, all-around brilliant guy, Vice Victus. And we kind of just talk about DTV action movies or whatever we feel like. This week, we talked about Doctor Strange. You know, so we cover the gamut, but we do really try and highlight uh, lesser seen or lower budget action movies because that's the arena that Liam works in. I do want to shout out, they just announced today he uh, his new movie Skyline 4 has uh, been picked up and is at the con market. So nice. um, yeah, so uh, we're all very excited about that. Uh, of course, you can also go back into the archives and hear me on Adkins, my old show Adkins Undisputed, where I was going through the career of Scott Adkins. And if you go back way back into archives on the Dana Buckler show. You can hear me on the 20th Century Movie Club and a couple of other episodes uh, with Dana there. So, absolutely, Mike. Glad to have you back here. And this is a follow up to an aside from our recent Double Jeopardy episode, where we, we, you know, to tell the story, you're a, an attorney in real life, and Lindsay and I drug you through that uh, horrible experience <laughs> to explain to us how they how completely wrong they were about Double Jeopardy. You should go listen to that show, folks. Not to just pimp our own show, but go to the part right in the middle where Mike goes at about a 20 minute roll of uh, how wrong all of that is. And it's great. But in that discussion, you and I learned something, Mike, that we, we both shared a, a love for this movie and that Lindsay had never seen it. And so <laughs> there also were other moons moving about. Nicholas Cage is back in the box office world with, you know, the massive talent and other things uh, apparently paid off all of his tax debt. So good for him. Uh, and Top Gun is back in theater soon, if not the cultural zeitgeist, if it will. And so what's more on brand for this show than to combine the two of these things and to make somebody watch something they've never seen before. So 
So, Lindsay, I do have to get you to spoil, though, ahead of time. Without giving too many thoughts about the movie, you had a hilarious text chain with me about your Brian <laughs> watching this with you, followed up with a picture that was a bit contrary to what you were saying he was saying. I think, I think the exact quote was, do you guys ever pick good movies? <laughs> <laughs> He's a good sport. He watches <laughs> almost all of them with me. Um, but then you're right. Yes. Yeah, shortly after I caught, uh, I caught a picture of him and my cat glued to the TV. <laughs> I, it was, I, it was one of the better scenes, but it was still <laughs> not a great, uh, it, it was interesting. We'll get into it. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into it. But, uh, you know, I I, I, I I wanted to get that out of the way because it, it is hilarious. And we'll kind of swing back to you in a bit, Lindsay. But, Mike, y- you are the king of Firebirds fandom. So please do tell your history with this. So, I mean, I go back to 1990 with this. I, I didn't see it in the theater, but I, I got it as soon as it was available on video because I remembered seeing the trailers. Uh, and, uh, you know, in 1990, I would have been... 13, 14, somewhere. I don't remember exactly when it came out in 90, but I was 13 or 14. Um, and uh, I was already a big Nicolas Cage fan at that point. I, I had already seen Valley Girl. I had already seen Raising Arizona. Uh, and, and so I was I was on board the Cage train already. And so the idea of Cage in an action movie uh, that, you know, involves helicopters and basically looks like top gun, but with, with helicopters was, was just too much for me to resist. And then when I rented it and watched it and got what for me was the performance that turned me into a lifelong Nicolas Cage fan (laughs) coupled with Tommy Lee Jones doing what Tommy Lee Jones does (laughs) Uh, I, I, I was all in and I have been, I have been a diehard defender of this movie for years. I am, as we'll talk about, I am fully aware of the kind of movie I'm defending here. This isn't like when I came on to talk rapid fire and I argued (laughs) that that was an actual masterpiece of action cinema. It actually is though. Yes, it actually is. But this one for me is more just about, I don't want to call it nostalgic because it's not because I continue to, I've never not loved this movie. Uh, but it is, I think, such a unique time capsule of filmmaking in 1990 and Nicolas Cage in 1990 and Tommy Lee Jones in 1990 that I, I just I love the hell out of this thing. So I am going to be the one that is completely off the map on this one, I think, for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> so so for me with this one, I, we're around the same age, Mike. I rented this one uh, because it it had things in it that I was attracted to as a teenage boy we had helicopter attack helicopter things um i had a friend that actually had the gunship 2000 microprose game that gets featured as the simulator in this thing so i had played that i didn't own it but you know back in those days you'd go to a friend's house and play computer games together and which meant each taking a turn on it because you couldn't play against each other but i played that i thought that was cool i knew what apache helicopters were i thought that was awesome um and so I, you had that. I knew who Nicolas Cage was because I, too, had seen Raising Arizona. I don't think I'd seen Valley Girl at that point, but I knew who he was and had seen some other stuff with him. But 
the two things that drew me in besides the helicopters and the explosions and all that kind of stuff were I saw no way out way too young as a kid. So I had been in love with Sean Young for a long time. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, so I was like, Ooh, Sean Young. Oh, and then Tommy Lee Jones is my earliest movie memory. It really is the very first movie I know I ever saw, or at least can remember seeing and remember anything about it was my parents taking us to a drive-in movie theater and in the back of their Ford LTD station wagon, laying all the seats down so we could lay down <laughs> with Hardee's. I remember that very specifically watching Coal Miner's Daughter. And if you've never seen Tommy Lee Jones chew the scenery up in Coal Miner's Daughter, I implore you to go watch that because you will see every performance the man's just about given his entire career. It's all right there. So I I was down for all of this and I rented it and watched it and I know I'd caught it on cable here and there through the years, but it's been a long time since I watched this for anything. And in the deep dive of this, one of the funny things I found is there's a YouTube channel with a, a, a former pilot who brings on other pilots to kind of go through different scenes in movies and talk about what's real, what's not. And, you know, they kind of have fun with it. They don't nitpick it to death, but he brought in this Apache pilot and the guy said, you know, everybody says this is the army's version of top gun, but it's more like the army's version of iron Eagle three. And that resonated with me because I've seen all the iron Eagle movies and particularly iron Eagle three holds a special place, but I'm with you, Mike, I'm kind of in team fan of this because I, the things I remember about it were Sean, young um and i didn't remember the incredible amount of harassment she uh, sustains we'll get into that but i just remember nicholas cage being absolutely cagiest it's all that stuff that he does that makes him who he is and is a part of massive talent and all the stuff that he he's done for years and tommy lee jones just being this like he's, he's 44 when he made this movie and he might as well have been 78 i mean he's just this curmudgeon and we talked about it on double jeopardy but <laughs> i i had so much fun with that so it was fun to come back and kind of do this and it's always fun to introduce somebody to this that's never seen any of it so Lindsay, sort of where are you on Nick Cage, Sean Young, late 80s, early 90s action movies, and maybe even like Top Gun culture and everything that that, that spewed into the world. Wow. Wow. <laughs> There's... <laughs> This is, this is, we're, we're going to be at two very different ends of the spectrum. <laughs> but, but no, I, so my dad, I come from a military family. So I grew up watching all kinds of movies like this, Top Gun, um, G.I. Jane later in the nineties, a few good men, like all of the classics and all of the newer ones. Every time a new military type of movie comes out the first thing my dad asks is have you seen this movie you've got to see this movie it's such a great movie <laughs> so i was reading the description of this one before you know before we ever went down the road of watching it and i was like oh this sounds like a great movie this is right up our alley it's got these great actors in it like this is like exactly the kind of thing that Brian would like to. And he's such a big Top Gun fan. And I like Top Gun. So this is going to be a fun movie. And it's only an hour and a half. Bonus. So I was not prepared <laughs> for <laughs> what I saw. <laughs> one, of my first, one of my first thoughts, too, as I was reading the synopsis before I, we actually started playing the movie was, how in the world... Did I miss seeing this movie? I'm the kid that grew up watching Major Dad with my dad. <laughs> like, right? how how did this movie miss me? And and I I guess it it just it just did, but it 
<laughs> I guess I can't say I haven't seen it now. So right, <laughs> I, I do want to ask, and and I'm not to put you on the spot, Mike, but are you responsible for the Wikipedia plot summary for this movie? Because it's <laughs> not. I mean, it is it is the movie, but it's also like a very different representation of what actually gets executed on the screen. I I am not. I uh, that is not me, and I've never even looked at it. So now I've got to like look it up and see what see what it actually says. Um, because no, I am I am unfamiliar with this. Um, it it reads like a Tom Clancy novel. <laughs> yeah, no. If it was if it was me, it would have just been me repeating "I am the greatest" over and over <laughs> as the entire <laughs> plot summary. Uh. Indeed, indeed, <laughs> you blew it. So. <laughs> we'll, we'll get into Cage and his lines here, but I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, you know, that's the thing, though. And this movie, it did come out in 1990. It was obviously made in, in you know 1989. Um, and I, I always like to say, like when you talk about decades, you have to remember that the old decade really laps over for a few years. Ron and I talked about this on the original Friday the Thirteenth review. That even though that movie came out in 1980, it's still very much the 70s till like 1984. You know, in the 80s yeah. and and the 90s didn't really kick in until about 93 you know it's so yeah still dana, and I, dana yeah. and i used to always talk about that too that they, that it would really it would take about two to three years before you sort of got a sense of of what a new actual decade kind of kind of feels like um and so yeah i agree with you completely this is very much a late 80s movie not so much a 90s movie yeah, no, no. And and you don't want to look at it that way. It, and it, we'll get into like all the visual effects and how that was done and all that kind of stuff as we go through this. But uh, I am I'm very curious to continue this conversation as we as we go forward. So, Lindsay, I'm going to I'm going to throw it to you. Please do give us the plot summary for Firebirds, if you will. <laughs> I'll do my best, Jay. <laughs> uh, let's see. So. When the DEA and the U.S. Army form a joint task force to take down drug cartels in South America, they call in the best attack helicopter instructor in the armed forces. 40-year-old, but acts and looks more like he's 60. (laughs) Sorry, Tommy Lee Jones. Uh, Chief Warrant Officer Brad Little, who is there to make sure the best of the best are up to the task. The top pilot is hotshot Jake Preston, who lost several of his fellow chopper forces in a previous engagement to the hands of the cartel's helicopter gun for hire, the evil Eric Stoller. So Preston has skills, mad skills, along with his gunner slash co-pilot, Breaker, But his eye dominance issue threatens to derail his flying career. So there's also the complicated relationship he's trying to rekindle with scout pilot Billy Guthrie. Guthrie, Little, and Breaker help Jake overcome his issues, and the force springs into action as the cartels are moving fast. Little joins in the flight, but is shot down by Stoller. Billy lands to rescue him and even shoots down a fighter jet from the ground. (laughs) Yeah, that happened. Jake and Breaker engage in an air-to-air battle where Jake hits the brakes, lets Stoller fly by, and Jake blows him out of the sky. Without the air support, the ground forces move in and arrest all the cartel members. Little is taken off in a medical chopper while Billy and Jake stage a cute argument over who is flying home as Phil Collins sings us home. There may be nothing more 1990 about this movie 
then fucking Phil Collins is the last one <laughs> that he's featured in the middle of it too as part of the love theme. I love Phil Collins. Unironically, I am a fan of Phil Collins. I like his pop music. I'm a sucker for a good pop tune. Uh, and he certainly had a, a string of them, but it also puts a sheen on this that is really odd from what we're trying to propose as the central theme of this movie of the war on drugs as a literal war. Like that, that is, that is something so eighties and nineties that man, it just takes me yeah, back. I, I was going to say, is it any weirder than fucking Berlin showing up in the middle of Top Gun. <laughs> no, like, it's, it's not It's not really no, any sir. weirder than that, right? No, sir. No, not at all. And, and I think that's what gets me about this is that most of the script, at least the premise of it, written by like retired Marine Corps and Army people, like helicopter forces, all this, and they, they came up with the idea of if you were ever going to really take on the cartel, it would have to be a task force between a federal agency who basically paid for the services of the U.S. military, because lest we forget at this point, we're not you know, staging wars around the world at this time in life. So we have the time, the bullets and the, you know, the, the, the uh, machismo to pull this off. I mean, this is the, you know, the time of, of Ronnie Reagan and really on the tail end of his, his I guess it's, this is Bush seniors uh, term, but we're in that, we're in that mode and that, that, era of of stuff and i gotta ask y'all does anybody else feel like you miss like the first season or first part of firebirds when jake is giving us this uh flashback about stoller gunning down his whole crew i'm like did i like is there something missing on what I'm, I'm, i rented this from the library so i'm like did the disc skip like i feel like i i missed a season of firebird somewhere along the way See, I'm going to say I, I appreciate that efficiency in storytelling. I mean, this is an 85-minute movie with credits. So yeah. we're really talking about maybe like a 79-minute movie. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I appreciate, as somebody who has sat through, say, a certain comic book movie. You know what? I got to stop bagging on that movie. But anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> I appreciate the efficiency in storytelling because I don't need to know his partners that get shot down. I don't give a shit who they are. What I need to know is that Preston got out because he's an amazing pilot and now he's got a chip on his shoulder and he wants to take Stoller out. That's it. I'm good. I'm set up. Let, let me go. Right. Let's, let's get off to the races here. I mean, it is incredibly efficient how they set up everything you need to know, including the evil helicopter pilot of the cartel, which we're going to get to him in a little bit, but I, I'll, I'll give him the, the credit. But what I, what I'm amazed at, is David Green is directing Nicolas Cage, presumably in this scene. And Nicolas Cage is giving this really thoughtful performance. Like he's trying to put all this like weight and emotional gravitas in his lines. And I'm like, bro, that is not your character. Like the rest of the movie, he's like loked out on an eight ball. So I don't I think, know what, what, no, what's going no. on. You're giving Nicolas Cage far, 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 far too much credit, Jay. <laughs> I don't think... I don't think he used more than three tones the entire movie. <laughs> he is the most monotone. This is the most monotone performance. Even for Nicolas Cage, it was monotone. I mean, granted, his debriefing tone and his let me sexually harass the helicopter pilot tone are basically the same. Mm -hmm. they, they are this sort of deadpan cut off my sentences thing that he's doing. Um, I don't know. I I. I thought it was interesting the way that they set that up. And if you look around the room too, in the military debrief room, there's a lot of character actors that wind up playing these kinds of parts throughout other movies, particularly in the eighties and nineties. And I'm just sitting there going like, 
man, the only thing they didn't have was Mitchell Ryan in there. And well, that, the, that would have been perfect. The big one you have to shout out is Dale Dye, who yes. also wrote the movie, but mm-hmm. then is is in there and has made an entire career being both a military advisor for movies and playing military people in movies. I guess he's the one who asked Cage, you know, do you believe the Apache can do? Oh, it is my opinion that it is the only helicopter that can, sir. Um, you yeah. know, yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I did get a kick out of the fact that he's like, have you been checked out on that? Yeah, well, I've done the academics, but I haven't flown it yet. And like, I, I have a, a former coworker who once told me, he's like, there is no academics. You get in the thing and you fly. Like, that's, <laughs> not, that's not how that works. That's not it at all. But I get that what they're trying to tell us is that he studied up on it. And, the, you know, I, I also have to remember who this movie is written for. It was written for 13 year old Mike and Jay. Like it really was. And so it's hitting us on like, I got to fire up the five and a quarter inch floppy disc of gunship 2000. Cause 2000 so far away that year will never get here and, you know, watch it boot up and flying cars by then. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, but, but I realized that's who this is written for, but all the shorthand stuff that they do, it actually does kind of work. I mean, it's, if you take it for what it is and what I realized that this movie does owe itself a lot to things. And I think the top gun thing is kind of the lazy way to sort of throw this in because there is so much, you know, air stuff. And there's a reason that that sheen feels like it belongs here in the, the cinematography in a bit, but this movie has a lot more to like iron Eagle in its blood than it does fire uh, top gun in my mind. Mike, what do you think? Well, it's definitely a much more uh, DTV action kind of movie. Like, you know, back then it wasn't DTV. These actually got theatrical releases. But yeah, it definitely has more Iron Eagle in terms of it's not this glossy movie directed by Tony Scott. It's it's a much lower budget version of that. Um, And and I'm with you. I kind of think the Top Gun comparison is a little bit lazy because you know what else is a Top Gun knockoff? Backdraft. Like, that's the thing that people forget about is that, that, Mm -hmm. like, you know, we think just because it's helicopters, it's a Top Gun knockoff. But there were a thousand Top Gun knockoffs that weren't necessarily just about military pilots like Top Gun sort of set this bar for this hot shot rookie who has to learn all this stuff. And and uh, and so it, you know, I've never really taken the whole it's a Top Gun knockoff thing as much of a criticism for this movie because it was a movie that came out in the 10 years after top gun. I can give you a thousand more, not just the iron Eagle movies, but I mean, there's, there's so many, I mean, hell in a lot of ways, even though it came out before you could argue that like sort of the, some of the police Academy movies are even like top gun knockoffs. You know what (laughs) I'm saying? Like, yeah. Yeah, I guess technically each other. Yeah. Yeah. Cause police Academy came out in 84. So, but I mean, Basically, it's sort of like any time because it's not like Top Gun was this original groundbreaking script, you know, like like, no. like, like Top Gun's good because Tony Scott, not yeah. not because of anything on the page. Well, it's it's good because I would argue Tony Scott, the the flying sequences Richard T. Stevens put together because he's the guy who did them for this. That's why there's the comparisons and that soundtrack and, and the volleyball the, scene. Yeah, built around that, right? So, because it's hitting all of its demographic at that point, yeah. You because know, that movie's definitely made for a different group. <laughs> so, well, we, you know, Tony Scott himself, like I, I forget which of the actors like talked about their memories of Tony Scott and they're on on Top Gun and saying, like, I was asking Tony for direction. He's like, I don't know, mate. It's just rock and roll, you know. <laughs> he just walked by me, and I was like, that's so Tony. Uh, but yeah, but I love Tony Scott, and I love that, and I love that anything that wants to try to live into that world, I, I'm okay with that. 
that. We do we do want to talk about I do want to talk about those those flying sequences because they shot a lot of this out in like Tucson, Arizona and, and stuff, which is not exactly where you live, Mike, but it's in the same vicinity area. So it's some of that beautiful painted desert out there. And what they do with these helicopters is pretty awesome. I miss the days when we would blow enough money on real helicopters and get the National Guard to come fly for us. Now it's all fucking CGI and models. Well, in it, it's not just the helicopters too. It's the, because if you're CGIing a helicopter, you're also very likely not going to go out on location. And yeah, I actually had to look it up to see, cause I was like, I've never looked, was this actually filmed in Utah? And then I looked it up and I was like, Oh, Tucson. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, but yeah, you're not out on location. I mean, there's a real tactile feel to where this is filmed. And, and like you said, that painted desert plus then, yeah, you've got real helicopters, flying low to the ground, doing stuff that, you know, looks impressive. I almost in a lot of ways, because helicopters are easier to maneuver, think that some of the flight scenes in this are actually better than some of the ones in Top Gun, just because of the logistical difficulties of shooting actual fighter planes. I mean, there there's, there's a reason we do CGI fighter planes now, but uh, because helicopters move slow enough, you can get some really good shots. There's some really terrific stuff in the flight scenes in this movie. But all of that, again, appeals to 13-year-old Jay and Mike. What I want to know is when Lindsay is seeing when we're sitting here geeking out over the helicopter <laughs> flying stuff. That was probably the best parts of the movie, mainly mm. because there was no talking. <laughs> <laughs> so you seem to no. not dig the dialogue thing. Hey, so you know what? Actually, actually, no, I will say, I think the scripting and the dialogue is fine. It was the execution of it that I have issues <laughs> with. <laughs> I have many, many issues <laughs> with the acting in this movie, which is unfortunate because I was like, oh, Tommy Lee Jones. Like, at least I can bank on him being Tommy Lee Jones. I mean, he was but Tommy Lee Jones. How though. is he He's, any? Yeah. How is he any he, different in this than anything he was, else? He was a dollar store version of Tommy Lee Jones. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> another callback to our double jeopardy episode. Yep. Everyone, so. <laughs> I do love his whole, I'm too old for this shit, but I still want to do it, damn it, thing that he's got going yeah. on. Well, the other thing, too, is is his character in the movie was 40. And you said that he was 44 when he filmed it. He looks so much older. And maybe it's just because he doesn't look any different now than he did then. And now he looks like it's the face. It's, 70s, it's, it's the yeah, sun yeah. pockmarked face. It's always yeah. aged him. Yeah. I mean, I I'm I'm here for it. I actually, you know what? I thought it was adorable, like him and his kids in the grocery store scene. I was I was down for that. That was cute. But I just <laughs> I thought the scripting was fine. The the fight scenes, the actually the what do you want to call it? The air, the simulation, like mm-hmm. video gaming thing. That was that was uh, one of my one of the more entertaining parts. Oh, how can you not be entertained with yeah, Nicolas yeah, yeah. Cage? Just like, I am the greatest. Uh, and like he's almost singing it at one point, and I'm like, I got confused though because I was like, I thought you were the pilot, and the guy in the front was shooting like Last Starfighter, but now <laughs> you're shooting, and he's like, "What's happening here?" I don't understand the Apache avionics enough to know, and I don't yeah. think I want us to think about that. But it did run through my head because, again, I'm a movie geek, and I'm going, "Wait a minute, um, wh- wh- who's what's role here in this situation?" 
I can suspend my disbelief long enough for to, for that, you know. And mm. I so we we live pretty close to the Air and Space Museum. There's two. We live close to the Udvar Hazy one, which is the one outside of DC. Um, and they have one of those, or they used to, one of those simulators in it. Oh, wow. And my younger brother and I did it once. We accidentally got it into a spin and couldn't get it out of a spin. <laughs> so then we were just stuck in the simulator spinning <laughs> until it stopped. That sounds awesome. <laughs> it was terrible. <laughs> But we made it through. But maybe that's why I liked it so much is because I'd been in one. But I I mean, that was probably one of the more entertaining points for me, for sure. Uh, I mean, again, for me, that was reliving watching, having played that game enough that I was like, oh, yeah, that's they're just using the, the Microprose yeah. game as the overlay for the for the simulator. Because I've seen military simulators. They're not that fancy. At least they weren't in that time. And I, I don't know. I thought it was funny, though, because it gives us a whole lot about like you don't need to know anything about breaker other than he's just good looking enough that he's probably not going to die. But if he does, you'll feel bad about it, but you feel like <laughs> he's, he's, you know, the, the other friend here in this, this situation. I think you hit the nail right on the head. Yeah. Do you, do you like video games breaker? Good. Cause I have a pocket full of quarters. I can't yeah. believe you don't like the delivery <laughs> in this quotable. movie. Lindsay. I love it. This yeah, is you, so <laughs> amazing to me. Yeah. Like, you, you know, know Okay, well, when you say it like that, it's fine. There are some good, like, one-liners taken out of context. I agree. There are some fantastic one-liners in this, which, as a 13-year-old kid, not even just a boy, I can totally see, like, running around just quoting this movie for years, you know? Like, do you like video games? I've got a pocket full of quarters at the actual arcade. I can totally see that happening. Um, but in the- talk, talk about it. We know I've all just dated ourselves very severely with that. One. <laughs> Those don't exist anymore, except for uh, adults. Arc- so. <laughs> Arcades still exist. What? Not for they, the kids, right? the adults. Oh, yeah. So, but. Well, I do. I do think that's funny because it did. It did remind me of like Afterburner. I think was like the hardest flying game I knew as a kid because you could sit down in the actual cockpit and all that cool shit and play that. There was another funny one where I think it's one of the first times uh, Nick Cage is in the Apache. Maybe I don't want to say the wrong helicopter name, and he blows a bubble with his gum. Yeah. And then it pops and he just goes, darn. But it was, I mean, in response to I what I assume Tommy Lee Jones is saying. But. I think it, was, it was something like, I, I love the interplay though with Tommy Lee Jones and whoever is NCO is there or whatever that he keeps giving orders to, like rank it up to Zulu Henry or what the hell ever. And the guy keeps going like, sir, it's not rated for that, which that's that guy's job is to do that. But I love how he mutes it. Like, if you don't start doing what I tell you, I'm going to make you shovel dog shit to Hong Kong or whatever the hell it is he says. <laughs> And I'm like, man, it's just like, I'm convinced Tommy Lee Jones, if he had lines, he didn't know what any of them were. He was just like, yeah, I got it. <laughs> and he just rolled with it. And I actually love that, though. I thought that that kind of folksy thing that he's doing is funny. It, ma- it makes yeah. this funny. What would have made this intolerable if this movie was two hours long and we would have had all this shit? Because then I'd be like, where, where are we going? You there. Yeah. 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 I, the I, fact I, that it was an hour and a half was, was a boon. And, you know, I, I'm with Mike. I do appreciate an efficient movie, uh, but. <laughs> but I love the, the simulator thing, though, because they, they're trying to push these guys, obviously, beyond their limits. And this is where we realize Jake's got a problem. 
right? And yeah. and they make him put the – I don't totally understand all of it, but basically, like, he's got to be able to process what's in the reticle on his right eye and what he's seeing in his screen on his left eye, and he's got to fly the helicopter and not crash it at the same time, which that sounds like a horrendous day at work. Like, I'm not going to lie. So that, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm with him. But I didn't realize I dominated – like, I for years, no lie. I thought this was like they made this shit up for this movie because I had never heard of this before until I was clued in to some real stuff. So, Lens, I will give you the floor on that. Yeah, that was that was a uh, I don't know. That was a moment for me when he was like or when he finds out, I think Billy tells him, oh, you're right handed, but you're left eye dominant. And I went, oh, I'm right handed and left eye dominant. That's so cool. And that is that is a real thing. Mine uh, can't really be fixed by means of how they fixed his. And I don't know if that part's actually possible. My yeah, we're going to talk about that, that in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was adorable. Uh, no, I can't actually close my left eye. So I, huh. I shoot, I play pool, I do archery, I play darts, all of that left-handed. So I've taught myself how to use my left hand instead of teaching myself how to use my right eye. Very interesting. I did not know this was a real thing. Lens revealed Which this. Which would not like, work oh, if I was a pilot, but it does work just as, you know, a normal civilian human being. <laughs> see, I had, I had always misremembered this, though. And this is, I think this may be some of the brilliance that you talk about. It's kind of snuck into this movie, Mike, is that I had thought, like, it affected his shooting. And I'm like, it's a fucking laser-guided missile system. Like, see, who gives a damn what I works? You know, like, just point and do it but it actually like the way that they talk about all the information he's having to process i'm like oh i misremembered that this is actually like they give a real reason for this they don't like spend a lot of time on it but i appreciated that they had a reason for it so Mm -hmm. contribution to this it is actually far more common than you think in women uh i don't remember the exact number but it's about like 30 percent of women are cross-eyed dominant my ex was and my current wife is well my current wife is ambidextrous so she's and she's like full ambidextrous like she can do kelsey can do anything with both hands it's very infuriating because i'm so i'm so right side dominant that if you actually cut off my left arm, the only reason I would know it is I'm out of balance. But other than that, like, <laughs> I wouldn't miss, I would not miss my left arm at all. I would just, in fact, I would be like, oh, great. I just lost 20 pounds. Awesome. Um, but, <clears throat> but it is actually very rare in men. Um, hmm. And so, but it does exist in men, but it is very rare. So yeah, it is cross-eyed dominance is a thing. It's one of, and that's one of those, Jay, where I think, you know, you mentioned all the the military people writing this. I think that's where some of the like, I hate to use this word. I don't want to use the word accuracy because this movie's mm-hmm. not accurate. Inside baseball is more what I would refer to that as. And so. Authenticity is the yeah. word that I kind of like to use here where where you do have stuff that they're very clearly bringing. Like clearly somebody on this script has dealt with a pilot that has an eye dominance issue before, Mm. because why the fuck would you make that up? If you're just (laughs) like a normal screenwriter, you're literally not even going to think about that. Right. Somebody somewhere who worked on this script, worked on an Apache knows that eye dominance is a problem. And then they probably handed it to another screenwriter and they're like, in fact, frankly, in reality, most people with eye dominance problems wash out of the Apache program. And then another actual like screenwriter, not a military guy goes, 
well, let's just tape red panties to his head and cure it. <laughs> right? Okay, so I got questions about this because here's how they fix this. They rig up a periscope, <laughs> basically, that, that keeps his right eye open so he can drive this blacked out Jeep Hummer around the base. And they put underwear over the left side of the face because, as we've said, the Sean Young character helps him figure out that he's got this problem. But Breaker and Little are the ones that work him through it. And it's Little and his wife have this conversation about, well, you had the same problem and you fixed it. So why don't you do the same thing? I, I had thought forever, like Sean Young was throwing her underwear on his face. Cause they had this whole underwear, meet cute laundromat harassment scene earlier. Is that little's wife's underwear on his face? Cause that's a whole other level of weird shit that I didn't think we were getting into today, but here we are. They're, they're on a base jam um, and, 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 and both Nick and both Jake and Breaker are attractive men. I'm not sure yeah. it was hard for them to fight. I'm sure if Little went, God That's damn it, you point. got you got to get me some red underwear. They probably didn't have to go very far to, to, right. to track that down. But the fact that they don't bother to explain and that it's right on the cusp of that convo with Mary and the trainer and, and Tommy Lee Jones, I'm like, did she just go like, here, these are clean? And he's like, fine. Okay. Jay, I got to be honest with you. I have seen this movie like 25 <laughs> times. And about that, it? that thought never crossed I, my it mind. Only, I don't, <laughs> it only hit me this also, time because yeah, of I, that scene. So. I think... I think you assuming that they're clean is also <laughs> potentially a stretch. That is also fair. If we go with the uh, one of uh, Breaker and Jake's uh, putting themselves through nursing school friends, let's just put it like that. So mm -hmm. um, if maybe that's what's going on, but that is a, a hilarious uh, let's fix it kind of thing. And it, I, this is where I get my Iron Eagle thing, because the idea that Doug Masters can't shoot in an F-16 laser guided without the music, I'm like, oh, so that's what this is. Like, we, we had to come up with some reason to fix this. And I, I have no doubt that there is a training program to, like, teach somebody how to you know, use their dominant eye. Lindsay, you talked about you know, that, that something you can learn how to do uh, if you want. But I don't know that it goes down like this. But it is hilarious. And, and I got to say, the scene is really funny, mostly because of all the ADR work. Tommy Lee Jones is putting in some good comedy here, y'all. Like, there's there's some hilarity in what are you saying? I would and very I, much like not to eat that dirt. <laughs> and I also like I also like when Nick goes lost a little bit of control there, but now everything's cool. Like yeah, like like come cool. on, this scene is hilarious to me. <laughs> <laughs> it is so cheesy, but it's like grease too cheesy, and that's what makes it great. <laughs> you know, I would love to see. There has to be a commentary of this movie that exists. Oh, that would like be... a director commentary. That's what I want to know. I want to know what direction they were given. <laughs> what David Green was telling him to do. I don't know. Yeah. I, I that would. I'm curious if that exists. I. All I saw were like bare bones DVDs before I realized the library had it, and I could just digitally so, download it. So. so I've owned this movie on four different forms of media: VHS, Laserdisc. DVD and Blu-ray and none of them have any kind of commentaries because nobody cares. Nobody but me cares about <laughs> Firebirds enough to Hold put on those special features in. You, you, uh, you had me with VHS, DVD, but you own the fucking Laserdisc <laughs> Oh yeah, Dude, that is fandom beyond. It, it, I'm glad we didn't gloss that part over. <laughs> I know I wasn't gonna let that go by. I'm like, that's impressive, dude. Like, wow. So I. I didn't yeah. know they made laser disc of that, but okay. So 
I should say I did look up like rental wise. This movie made a ton of dough. Like it, it mostly because it looks like Mike you quadruple dipped on it. But but I mean really like this it made its money back in the home market. So it, even though the box office didn't flash for it, it wasn't like it was a complete you know trash out. I um, mean it looks cool. You yeah. know it looks really cool. Yeah, I mean it's well shot, it's well lit. It, it it it's you know like we talked about it's got that tactile feel that mm-hmm. that you know it, it really is frustrating when you watch a movie like this which like again I know I'm the world's biggest fan of this movie. There's very few criticisms that could be levied against it that I wouldn't agree with. I I do dispute Lindsay's assertion that the acting in this is not tremendous but uh, but uh, <laughs> but other than that there's very, their own. <laughs> there's very few criticisms that that you could levy against it but it is frustrating to watch this movie this quote-unquote garbage movie and see that it looks so much better than 90 percent of the movies that you see coming out today yeah uh, that's I, I get when people get like cranky old people yell at cloud on the internet about how modern movies look because this is a nothing burger of a movie right yeah. and it still looks better than you know say I don't want to say Doctor Strange because that's a Sam Raimi movie, but you know, whatever the Eternals, like I will take Firebirds over the Eternals any day of the week because this has depth. It looks good. It's got a tactile feel. Um, And that, that is one of the reasons I think I gravitate towards some of these old movies like this is just because it's not necessarily nostalgia. It's nostalgia for a time when movies looked like movies. Yep. Uh, Yeah. I, I, I will 100% agree with you there there's something to an actual set and actual pyrotechnics and actual um helicopters and you know all all of that 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 make a movie in that time frame something just so much more special than kind of they feel now with all the cgi well you know there's something about the the sheen of modern filmmaking that it just looks too clean Mm-hmm. Or when they try to make it look dirty, you can tell it's fake. You know, it's it's like I'm in the metaverse, you know, like, oh, this is really neat, but it's not real. You can't, I know it's search not. For, you can't search for movie errors. Did you guys ever do that? My brother oh, yeah. and I used to obsess over that. We loved watching movie, movies and trying to find all the little movie errors and like incontinuities mm-hmm. that that. Yeah. Came the goofs section of IMDb yeah, yeah, yeah. was like what I read when I was supposed to be studying in college. I mean, come on, <laughs> that's, come on. That's, that's half of what the internet was invented for was all the times the boom mic hit somebody in the head and, you know, dolomite <laughs> or what the hell ever. So, I mean, really like that's, that's the fun part of this stuff. I, I do got to ask a question though, because I think I may be on Lindsay's side on this one here. And I don't mean to speak ill of, of, anyone who's a professional actor but sean young sucks in this movie and i just blame it on the fact that she didn't get batman and she was mad about it she's really bad and i like her and stuff she's good in no way out she's awesome in blade runner she's bad in this dude like and they don't give her a lot to do except to get harassed by nick cage i get that but i i feel bad for her because she just seems bored out of her skull the whole time she's the one thing that takes me out of it she's definitely the one actor that's shall we say not committed um that I mean, unlike you, Jay, I have never been a particularly big Sean Young fan. Um, I don't actually think she's ever really been that good, uh, but she is exceptionally bad here. I mean, I'll be in. And, and again, yeah, part of it is, I mean, what a what a just a thankless 
awful role that she's yeah, at got. least Kelly McGillis had like a character. Yeah. You know? Yeah. What a, what a, just a thankless, I mean, she does get the big hero moment of shooting down the plane and saying, snort that sucker. But even that is like, of all the like one liners in this movie, it's not a good the, one. Right. Better yet, <laughs> all the person, people to make the cocaine joke. That's yeah. who you give it to. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and so I just, yeah, she's, so I've gotten over it I, as I've watched this movie so much over the last 30 years. I have gotten used to her performance in this and it doesn't bother me like it used to. But I'm definitely I mean, she's this is a paycheck movie for her and it's yeah. it's obvious it's a paycheck movie for yeah. her on that side of things. Lizzie, I'm assuming you agree with me. Sean Young's not very good in this. At, at yeah, times. yeah. Yeah. But on the other side exactly. of it, though, they do give her absolutely nothing to do except try to deadpan react to Nicolas Cage going like, I'd like to you like it when I'm on top and he's flying over the top of her in a damn helicopter and all this oh. just random sexual harassment in the air. I'm like, look, I, I know enough about military frequency to know like mm, you don't have that kind of conversation. One, you can't fucking hear yourself. And two, there's no way. Like, somebody would be going, like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah. Bringing that guy down. Like, there's no way. Yeah, no. I, I know that, like, it was a different time. And so the eye roll <laughs> that maybe the listeners did not hear me do, um, <laughs> but maybe you did, <laughs> was, not, was not because of the whole, like, how how crazy blatantly like sexual harassing he was sexually harassing he was because it was blatant but a he looked like a freaking axe murderer when he did it (laughs) because his eyes are so big like if i if i were her i would be hightailing at home and her and so her reactions were just like oh you're so you and it was like what is wrong with you? Go home. <laughs> Keep your gun next to your bed. Like, you need protection, lady. This guy's going to come in and murder you in your sleep. No one no one can convince me that anyone is, like, there's no one creepier than Nicolas Cage <laughs> at, at the club in this movie. Okay, yeah, the club, the club scene is pretty, that's pretty rough. They right even there. get this crazy shot of him, and the camera's, like, looking down, and he's looking up, and the way he's looking up, like, you can see, like, so much of the top of his eyeball, it really makes him look like a crazed lunatic. It was very much something that I feel like, and I don't have any proof of this. I'm just guessing it, but I made a note to myself that like David Green likes the way Paul Verhoeven shoots dark lit scenes because it felt very Verhoeven when they were trying to do the romantic parts of this movie. And, and, and this only the twisted way Verhoeven yeah, would shoot something like that. That's the thing. I couldn't, because of the way she was reacting, I was like, I, I think this is supposed to be like a, a, meet cute get back together type of coy flirty scene but they do know each other like we should say like the characters yeah, yeah, yeah. history so yeah but-, but that is not the vibe i was getting yeah again uh criticisms that i can't uh i can't uh argue with i i mean it's 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 almost one of those movies you know i i i and and i'll 
I'll be honest with y'all. This hit bad and even in 1990, right? Yeah. Like, even in 1990, it was Yeah, we like, all felt weird about this. Yeah. Jake, you need to back the fuck off. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I like the scene when he's like, why is it so hard for you to understand that I just don't want you to get her? Dude, you're going into fucking combat. So is she. Like, <laughs> like yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, my gosh. It, it's one of those movies where you almost do wish, you know... I almost feel like some of these military movies from this era would have just been better to just make it like a dude's rock kind of movie and just completely eliminate Sean Young's role. Right. Because for me, what I gravitate to in this movie is that the father, son, parent, teacher, or, you know, student teacher relationship between Cage and Tommy Lee Jones. That's those are the scenes. Those are the interactions that I really enjoy in this movie. It's them Mm -hmm. talking, it's them bantering, it's them coming to this understanding of who they are and stuff like that. And, and then it's almost one of those where, yeah, anytime Sean Young shows up and it's not her fault, uh, it's the role's fault. I just roll my eyes because it makes cage go from cocky to creepy. Um, Mm -hmm. she's terrible. And you know, the only line that she has that I think actually works is when, he fails the box and they discover right before she figures out he's got an eye dominance problem. She says, it's like sex. Hardly anybody gets it right the first time. That's actually a good line. And she mm-hmm. actually kind of delivers that, but there's so much other stuff in here for her. And then for them to sort of weirdly damsel and distress her, but then not because like, mm-hmm. I don't want to jump, you know, too far ahead, yeah. but it's like, you know, she's got that line when Stoller's chasing her and she's like, come on, Jake, save my ass. And I mean, I remember in 1990, even just rolling my eyes at that one. Right. Yeah. Um, but then they're like, try and make it up by her shooting a missile, uh, up a plane's ass. I don't know. Um, I feel like, I feel like I would happily sacrifice her role in this to get more scenes with Nick and Tommy Lee Jones, because she's so underserved by this role that it's like, let's not, let's not just token throw a woman in this movie because top gun had Kelly McGillis, right? Like let's, let's just skip it and just let make a dude's rock movie and just let the dudes be the dudes and blow shit up. Well, you you know why Invasion USA is awesome? Because the female reporter, they let tag along with Chuck Norris for five minutes. At no time is there any romantic chemistry with him. They don't try to play that up. And after he you know shoots somebody in the head and saves her, she's out of the movie and he's off to go kill Rostov. Because that, that's what makes that movie work is that they don't try to ham fist this relationship drama shit in the middle of this military action movie. Well, and being a cishet white dude, I don't want it to sound like I'm trying to say, uh, we need fewer female roles in movies. That's not it at all. But, but a a one this shitty doesn't do anybody any good, right? Like that doesn't help anybody involved. If this is the best you can do, just don't even do it. Mm -hmm. Is, is, does that make sense? Or am I like treading into some really terrible stuff? I won. 150% agree with you. And one of my pet peeves, especially in action movies and sci-fi specifically and books, uh, is a love story that is forced in for no reason that does not move the plot forward and has no business being in there. And there are way too many books and films that try to do this. And it's like, not everyone needs a love story in their entertainment. Please just get this out. This is, this is like 
a fighter helicopter military blow shit up movie just 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 leave it there that's fine i'd be fine with that i would have even liked it better if just to rewrite the movie for a minute to to put on my nick hat here because he's famous for doing that on the show it's like you can have that same character they have history but instead of being creepy and weird in the laundromat he's like hey i'm glad to see you're doing good glad you got your wings good to be working with you and they're like compadres they have respect for each other they don't do this chase each other around the living yeah. room shit, or have a know? gross sex scene yeah. oh yeah oh. and that's that's the other problem with this movie right is it's just classy enough to not go full exploitation because it would also be one thing if this was just a full exploitation movie right and we're like mm-hmm. we got this female character because we need some titties you know we we got we got <laughs> international investors we got we got we got to get some titties in this movie but it's just classy enough that they don't they don't go that far and so it's stuck in this weird limbo where we just have this actress who even though she's not one of my favorites, I know she's, she's a hell of a lot better than this role and a hell Mm -hmm. of a lot better than this performance. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's absolutely as much as I defend this movie, it is absolutely, I think the one part of the movie that if somebody was like, yeah, I can't do the whole Sean young, like that just knocked me out of the movie. I would be like, cool. I got no problem with that. You you get knocked out because you don't like helicopters blowing shit up. Uh, you and I, we, we are not going to see eye to eye on that. But you don't like Sean Young's role in that arc. I got no problem with that. It's terrible. It's absolutely fucking terrible. Yeah, she she's given nothing to do, and consequently, she does nothing with it. So, except to the very end when she takes the most ridiculous set of instructions. All these things exist, by the way. The whole receiver coffee can you can hook it on a stinger. That's how that equipment works. They just don't carry it in the helicopter <laughs> because when they go down, the last thing they're thinking about is, oh, let me pull one of those off the side and shoot that jet that's somehow only armed with guns, um, So, which is another hilarious part of this. It's like, yes, let's, the cartel can only afford machine gun bullets, but not missiles for their, their two screamer jets here. But who cares? Because there, there is something sort of you have to suspend disbelief of a helicopter versus a jet. Because my understanding of avionics is that that is not a fair fight. And probably and unless the <laughs> helicopter snuck, literally snuck up out of nowhere and shot the thing, there's no way that that would ever go down the way that they depicted this movie. And especially when, when uh, Tommy Lee Jones and his guy, the rice man or whatever, like the way that they, they shoot that jet down. No. I mean, he blows it a kiss when he shoots it too. I'm like, come on dog. Like, I mean, <laughs> I get it, but like, Come on, bro. That ain't how that works. But we got to talk about Stoller as the villain here, though, y'all, because this dude, I, I don't know who Burt Ryan is. My understanding, this is his only credit as an actor, but I got a lot of Blue Thunder, Malcolm McDowell, Connell Cochran shit off of him, and I was here for it. I needed him to have more lines. Every time they put him on the screen and they showed him not only in helicopter action, like close-ups where he's up in the air, they're showing stills of it, but they've got him like holding an Uzi to somebody's face. He's throwing a cigar at somebody. I'm like, man, they just created like the chief asshole mercenary of all time. But they didn't even give him a bad Euro trash accent. That's what I was disappointed in. I, I wanted to hear him talk. Yeah, but he does cut a pretty impressive physical, like you said, and he looks good with the with the sunglasses on his helmet and stuff. He looks he 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 makes a good villain for this movie because we ultimately don't actually. I mean, he's better than 
honestly, not to like compare this to Top Gun again, but he's actually better than what we get at the end of Top Gun because we don't know anything about those MiG pilots. At least Stoller, we sort of have a Mm. sense of who he is. And again, in our very efficient opening, he shot down Jake's team. So we we get we do have a little bit of uh, investment there so that when we get, you know, oops, you blew it. We can actually like fist pump, or if you're like me, you can fist pump. <laughs> I mean, he, he he has a presence. You're right, and the, you're right with the face and his beard and all that kind of stuff. It's actually pretty good. And I'm sitting here, you know, people. Oh, this is, podcast is is a visual medium. All of a sudden, people aren't sitting here. I'm thinking like, if Mike, we could just get the helmet on you, man. You've got the beard to pull off Stoller. Yeah, you you could you could be a hell of a trivia question at a Halloween party. So. Yeah, that's true. I, 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 I guess I could, I guess I could pull that off. That's true. But uh, then, you know, uh, two people in the world, <laughs> namely the two of you, rock at it. So <laughs> true, true. I will talk to you as your presence on this podcast as a guest has shown. I will talk to you into some bad ideas. Uh, so, but no, I, lo- everyone's I love- officially invited to the film strip podcast Halloween party coming right I mean, at you. I think that needs to happen, October twenty twenty two. I we need to make that happen, Lindsay. Uh, I do like the the way that the the big battle goes down, though, and the, you know, I love Tommy Lee Jones's whole like meta commentary over everything that's happening to him. Like he seems so calm. Like, We're about to get shot. Just get ready for it. You know, like he knows everything's coming. Like he's been there before. And I'm like, man, this is this is actually kind of fun. Like I I was digging the the action scene where we got to the last 20 minutes of this movie, man. I was in full adrenaline mode. I was happy for that. Because we get that conversation with them the morning of and and you know you get that's going to get a call back, but where Tommy Lee Jones is telling Nick Cage, you know that he's expecting him to be a genuine goddamn American hero, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden out of nowhere, shit just starts blowing up, and I love that. I lo- again, that's yeah. that efficiency that I love. It's like we don't know, like how did the cartel find? It doesn't matter. They found them. They just start blowing shit up, you know, mm-hmm. and and everybody runs and takes off, and then yeah, at the end you get the the call back where he's like, you look like a genuine goddamn American hero, but yeah, I mean I. I think the last for me the last 20 minutes of this is as an action fan it's pretty terrific stuff uh it's exciting it's well shot um i just and and i think again that's part of why i have such affinity for this movie is the stuff that's in it that's good is really fucking good there's just some really bad stuff in it and i fully acknowledge that But I do love that the the final you know, go apart with with Stoller and and Jake and Breaker. Breaker gets shot in the leg, so he can't shoot anymore for whatever reason. Fine, we know Jake's got to pull the trigger. Like that's got to be part of it. So we, we we're just going to confuse who does what in the helicopter still. But I do I do have to laugh that they did pull the Top Gun. The, the and that's like a thing in every aviation pilot movie from since top gun they even did it in fucking independence day and independence day resurrection hit the brakes and they'll fly right by which is a real move but it doesn't always work that well i love that he does it but i have to ask is do y'all feel like there was a a big cut or two scenes smashed together when he goes from he blew it to i'm gonna kill him now like it's like total zero to 100 in like two seconds before he fires all that shit through the back of stolen yeah, Lindsay. I get. I see what you're saying. I do. I don't. I guess. It I mean, because you register. blew it. It's great if you just pulled the trigger there. That'd have been hilarious. It's just when he goes <laughs> insane. That was like, oh, where did that come from? 
<laughs> just zero to a hundred or idling at 75 to a hundred. I don't know. <laughs> True. But yeah, I mean, it was all within the action sequence. So, which is just a, a disorienting kind of experience for the viewer in general. I mean, not in a bad way. That's just how it works. Things are blowing up and you don't know who's shooting what in the helicopter. They made that pretty ambiguous from the start. And so I, I didn't honestly really think much of it. I was just like, all right, well, that's happening now. So I, we're good. I do love how they absolutely kill that guy so dead. They have to show us him getting shot up in the seat before he's incinerated into a billion pieces. I'm like, oh, they wanted him real dead. <laughs> like that, you know what that actually uh, reeks of to me, the whole you blew it and I'm going to kill him now is uh, test screenings that they were probably two different takes mm. and they probably, and and this is just pure speculation, but they probably tested both and, and felt like we need both. Like each one by itself isn't quite enough of a, a pop. Uh, and so we need, we need a little bit more. Um, it has it, it always struck me as, I guess, yeah, a little bit weird, but like you said, Linz, I, I never really noticed it because so much of that final scene in a good way is disorienting, you know, because mm-hmm. you're cutting between the outside shots of the helicopters and then the in- inside shots of the cockpits and, uh, yeah, trying to mask your budget by kind of obfuscating who's shooting who and who's mm-hmm. flying around who and stuff like that. You know, I'm I'm relatively certain that uh, they probably only had those planes if they even had those fighter jets. Uh, I, I didn't look it up. It's entirely possible that the plane footage is like stock footage. I mean, to be honest with you, but uh, I'm betting at best they had them for like a day to get maybe like 10 minutes of coverage. Uh, and so they have to, they have to cut those back and forth a lot. Um, you know, but again, that's where the art of editing comes in. And again, mm-hmm. like I said, I think it works pretty great, even though it's a bit disorienting, but, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I do think the two the two kiss off lines feels a little a little weird. One thing I'll, I'll give this movie a ton of credit for is unlike Top Gun, where it's the same two missile shots over and over that they got from the Navy. They just keep reversing the angle like they got four or five really good sets of the, the Army helicopters, like letting go of their their ammo for them. And they used them real judiciously. Like they, there's a lot of insert shots of the close up of the machine gun and shit, but when they're firing all the, you know, the rocket pods and stuff, that looks pretty cool. And credit to the, the national guard for going like, yeah, let's, let's blow some ammo, you know, and let them get that on film. Cause it didn't look recycled at any time. I was pretty impressed with it. So that was actually the national guard. Mm-hmm. They had national guard helicopter pilots and doing a lot of the, the flying for them. And then they, they fired off their ammo for them a couple of times. So they get it on film. So cool yeah i mean i i, I appreciate that though because just that kind of little detail in a movie like this because again it could have just been like whatever we'll just use the same shot over and over but like no let's actually like show some of the different shit this thing can do you know and, and i'm sure someone from the army said please don't show them that thing that it can do because we don't people to know that you know at, at this point <laughs> time. but yeah you know I, that's fine i mean I, I i got a kick out of that again appealing to the the 13 year old me that saw it when i saw it I was like, oh, yeah, that was cool, because that's what the video game looked like, at least in my head. It didn't look like that at all, but it's what I wanted it to look like. Now it would look like that on you know, my, my phone, probably. But When you think of this movie in the context of a video game, it makes a lot more sense. 
I, 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 well, I'll save that for my summary or whatever. What I think this movie is a mashup of uh, the two things. I think it, it really mashes up and neither are Top Gun or Iron Eagle, but we'll, we'll get to that as, as we get to it. We, we do have to end on the cute line though. We do who's driving. No, I'm driving. You're uh, neither of you are driving. D- uh, Dale needed to come on the thing on neither of you are driving ever again. In fact, we're going to talk about counseling children because you need to work out your issues. <laughs> I appreciate what you've done for our country and our task force, but you two need to either get a room or stop talking to each other. So, so uh, uh, it's something there. Yeah. Don't put the Phil Collins drop on. I did read the Wikipedia summary that you mentioned to me. Holy shit. That was clearly written by one of the screenwriters on this, right? <laughs> there is no way that that is written by like, somebody like like yeah that is that reads like a, it doesn't even read like a tom clancy movie it reads like like a technical manual or something mm-hmm. like like there's way more time talking about the helicopters used than, than anything in the actual movie like uh using an unconventional but effective training method little helps preston deal with his eye dominance disability yeah right really? you you write you write a synopsis and you're like you you forget to say that he puts red fucking panties on his head come on Uh. no that's why i'm saying i'm like whoever wrote that was writing was seeing a different film than than what's actually it's not even it's not even that they were seeing a different it's fucking david green sitting there at home (laughs) being like this is my masterpiece so i've got a i mean he's british so this is my masterpiece so i've got i'm gonna i'm gonna put it in there um you know when like like no That's mention awesome. of I am the greatest, no mention of shoot them, cook them, boil them, bake them, all gone bye bye. This is sorry, I'm done now. I'm ranting. No, no, uh, I'm with you. No, that, actually, that's the best stuff though. When Cage is doing that stuff, that's the hilarious part. You should go on Wikipedia and edit it. See, right? <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> I'm, not go- I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I should, but I'm not going to. Well, guys, I think we're at the part of the podcast where it's time to give final thoughts, recommendations, and popcorn ratings. So what are yours for Firebirds? Lindsay, let's start with you. Wow. What can be said about this movie that hasn't already been said? (laughs) (laughs) You know what? I I do. After talking to you guys, I, I see the appeal. I get it. I will say that from just a purely nostalgic standpoint, I do like seeing older action films and how they were made from that standpoint versus CGI. I like that bit. I just, I still, I still can't get past the terrible acting. I know, Mike, you don't agree with me. I can't, I can't do it. I will give this though. I will give it a small popcorn Maybe it needs a second watch. I don't think I'm the person to watch it a second time. But if you didn't like it the first time, you know, maybe maybe go back out there. Put yourself back out there and watch it a second time because clearly there, there are people who really, really enjoy it. Uh, but as for me, I think I'll move on to the next film in my, <laughs> in my list. I'm going to give this a small popcorn. All right, Mike. Um. So this popcorn is agile, mobile, and hostile. Uh, <laughs> I, I look. I, I I have to give this a large popcorn. I yeah. understand all of the the criticisms and everything. Other than the acting, Lindsay, you you have said nothing that I disagree with. But <laughs> this movie means. I and this is one of those where yeah, I I just I'll put my credibility out there. For me, this is a a large popcorn 
with cheese and all the butter I can possibly put on it. Um, and I'm going to stuff my face and try and have a heart attack by the time <laughs> I'm done. Because if I go out, I want to go out watching Firebirds. So, um, yeah. Yeah. You live your best life, honestly. You yes. do that. I, and I, I'm here for it. Yeah. Seriously, do it. And I knew you were a fan of this. I had no idea you were the mega fan you are of it, Mike. So I really appreciate you coming on and being that. Because I'm going to split the difference here on this one. This is medium popcorn territory, but not in the, like, the way I use medium sometimes to kind of like damn a movie for not living up to what it could be. This movie is way more than it could be. Like It's doing everything <laughs> it can do, and it's flunking some of it, but it's getting enough of the class by that I'm going to I'm gonna give you the benefit of the doubt on that final paper because you, you ended it right. Like it's It feels to me the way I think about a lot of the music of the era that I love and listen to. Like if you go back and listen to open up and say, ah, from poison, there's some awesome songs in there. There's also some real garbage in the middle of that album too, but it starts well and it ends well. And yeah, it, yeah. It's the film version of nothing but a good time. Thank that you. Is the, yeah. There's our analogy. It is yes. the film version of nothing but a good time. I can it's, get behind that. It's also two other eighties films mixed together. That, that I haven't completely dropped here. This is Blue Thunder meets the last Starfighter in an army helicopter. And if you will go watch those two movies and then watch this again, you'll see what I mean. Because it is exactly so many of the same beats, so many of the same ideas. And I don't mean that as a bad thing. If you're going to borrow from stuff, borrow from cool shit like that. And I, I'm all about some of that. All of Tommy Lee Jones' crankiness is all up in Roy Scheider's life because that was the life he was living at the moment. And that's kind of who he always was which i love about him and you've got all the cockiness of lance guest in the the nuclear embodiment that is 26 year old nicholas cage it makes it infinitely fun i'm not going to lie to y'all when i rewatched this this time anytime they were trying to get to the tender moments your boy hit mute or hit fast forward because I didn't need it. I didn't, I knew it didn't matter. Didn't care. Like, get me back up in the air. Let's get back in the bag. Let's do some simulator. I can get, I, I can watch Sean Young do cooler stuff elsewhere because this is not her performance, as we've said. So I'm going to give it a medium popcorn, but it's like the perfect matinee medium, perfect amount of butter, just the right the tinge of salt. This is when I, I, I've had my long run for the week and I'm going to cheat and enjoy this, uh, eating that up. So I'm, I'm with you on the, on the medium popcorn drown in the butter and uh, no regrets uh, at all uh, for watching this and i'm so glad that we we got a chance to redo this one because like i said it had been years i mean over probably 15 years since i watched this movie and i'm so glad to to get it on with somebody who looked at totally fresh and had had a different experience with it and then like the super fan of it who i had no idea you own this four different ways but man like i, <laughs> I, I, I was this. not kidding when i told yeah. you i am literally the world's biggest firebirds fan i mean i even david green's like that guy that guy in utah is weird uh, i don't know why david green's all of a sudden australian but nonetheless um i i don't do accents sorry um but yeah no in in yes Linz, at some point we i i will have to come on and with you and actually talk about a good movie because I've done good <laughs> yeah. movies with Jay before. Yes. But, yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but unfortunately, Liz has not been part. Well, we will find one the next time I bring the trio together here. We will find yeah. something legitimately yeah, we good. We have done good movies. Yes. Yes, <laughs> yes we have. Liz and I have reviewed good movies together yeah. before. Blues right? Brothers? Yes. Oh, yeah. American yeah. Wolf in London? So, yeah. yeah. It's, the so. problem is I like garbage. And so <laughs> yeah. most of the time when Jay reaches out to me and he's 
he's like, do you want to talk about X, Y, or Z? If he gives me a choice, the most garbage movie is the one that I'm going to talk about. Because- do you know what though? I, I like garbage too. I fully support your fandom of this movie because I get it from a garbage loving <laughs> person mm-hmm. myself. I- I'll give you one last metaphor what this movie is. This movie's the ultimate warrior's wrestling career in the 80s. Every minute of that. an ultimate warrior out. I, I love the ultimate warrior. I'm a mark for the, the 80s version of the ultimate warrior up to when he you know, beat Hogan yeah, the, pre, the title. The pre, and yeah. the pre-racist ultimate warrior. Yeah, um, yeah, leaving the person aside just before they let him really talk. But when he was just over in the side going, up from the heavens, I will throw you Hogan into the sea of tranquility or what the hell, you know, all that stuff. I'm there for that because that's what this movie is. It's just Nicolas Cage being the ultimate warrior cutting promos. Tommy Lee Jones over there doing his thing. That that's the other metaphor I have for this movie. So I, I, uh, I think it lives in that, that sphere. And moreover, it's a ton of fun talking about it with you two and always is. And Mike, once again, thanks for coming on the show. Tell folks again, how they can follow you and all the cool stuff you got going on. Yeah. So you can follow me personally on Twitter and letterboxd at Hibachi justice. If you follow me right now, you'll see that my uh, handle is Jake Preston, super pilot. Uh, just in case anybody's wondering <laughs> if I'm sincere, uh, you can follow action for everyone on Twitter at a four E podcast. That's the letter a, the number four, the letter E podcast. You can find the podcast anywhere. Podcasts can be found. We're pretty much everywhere like i said we do generally record every sunday uh and i do a next to no editing and just turn those around quick so just be on the lookout for those every sunday y'all are my son i'm not making this up y'all are my sunday evening or monday morning run podcast like i save it for that time so i i enjoy it and heartily endorse all of that stuff so once again mike thanks for being a part of the show lynn's always great to have you on the show as well and you've got all kinds of cool stuff going on and we, we will do something good next i promise <laughs> I, we will we will do something good so uh even if we don't up. it'll be great <laughs> <laughs> it always is. It's always podcast gold here at Filmstrip. Folks, you can follow the show's social media at Filmstrip Pod on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. There you'll find announcements about upcoming shows. If you're following on the Twitter, you're mostly getting the thoughts of Ron, which are absolutely hilarious, and we highly recommend you do that. <laughs> uh, if you're getting the gram in the, in the book, you're usually seeing the stuff that I put up. Uh, but you'll find links to upcoming shows, a link to our letterbox page, which has our entire list of reviews, 330 plus movie reviews. I guarantee you we got stuff in there for you, uh, no matter what you like go to filmstrippodcast.com that'll link you to our anchor.fm distribution site where you can find us on apple spotify google all the places where you can find a show please share the show if you can leave us a positive review on your podcast platform as it helps other people find the show for Lindsay and mike i'm jay thank you for listening to filmstrip thank you for listening to filmstrip You can find more episodes on our website, filmstrippodcast.com. The Filmstrip theme music is produced and performed by Frozen Lake 121. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17.